Happy New Year, and I hope you had a great Christmas. G'day, and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dean Camilleri. And I'm Laura. We would like to start by thanking Enduro for their support in bringing you our weekly Q&A. Tonight, we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Kevin Howe from Karana Kelpie Studs. Kevin will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night, and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus, high-energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey, Kevin, how are you going? Good, thank you. That's good. Do you want to start like off to, by... I'd like, right. to congratulate, like to congratulate you too for this, uh, for what you're doing. It's a great, great thing, I think. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thanks for jumping on. No how was your, your Christmas, mate? How's the start to your new year, mate? Christmas and New Year was good. We had, had a few COVID scares, but I think everybody's getting those at the moment. Yeah. Please, do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself? Um, oh, well, I, I grew up on a farm. My father was a farmer uh, and he was a real dog man. He always had a heap of dogs around him. Uh, he didn't care what breed they were, as long as they worked sheep. He'd even been known to pick dogs up in town that were strays and take them home and then teach them to work cheap. And, yeah, he was quite a good dog man. Never ever trialled, but uh, I'm sure that I inherited his interest in dogs um, because I've always been interested in dogs all my life. So I grew up on, grew up on the farm, went to school at Yugara, which is a little town, 600-odd people. Then um, my secondary schooling, my parents sent me away to college at Bathurst for three years. Um, what I liked most about that was the sport. I wasn't, wasn't so keen on the on the bookwork. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I left school at 16, went back home to help my father on the farm, um, did a wool classing course through tech at the same time, um, then learnt to shear. So between working at home on the farm and then off-farm shearing and off-farm wool classing. And, uh, yeah, that's how I started off as a, as a young fellow with working stock. And uh, my father had two different properties. One was in the Plains country. Then he had another one up in the Granite Hills at Yugara. So I know about uh, well, be 15 kilometres apart, I guess, about that. So we had to have different types of dogs for both areas and uh, that was where I learnt that a dog had to have a good cast and be careful to be able to work the sheep in the hilly country. It was much easier on the flat country but um, because you could drive all over it, but the other one you couldn't drive all over it at all. You could only drive in certain places. So the dog had to do most of it, which uh, showed me that a dog could, the ability that dogs have got they were only crossbred dogs and it was, I never got into the purebred dogs until, until I was around about, around about 40, <laughs> which is around about 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that gives away my age, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, just a little. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's a little bit about me. Um, yeah, I I uh, went to a field, the field day at Orange is what first started me in the purebred dogs. I had crossbred dogs up till then and um, went to a demonstration at the field day of a purebred Kelpies. Got talking to the people, stayed there all day tormenting them, asking them questions. 
and finished up buying a pup off them. And that's where my career in the Australian working Kelpie started. Pretty good story to tell, mate. And uh, you're still at Yagara, it's yourself and Kay out there these days? Yeah, still at Yagara. We're about 13 k's out of Yagara on the opposite side to where I was brought up. Uh, we're more towards Canoundra. Uh, and I'm in the hilly country again, uh, which I like, hilly country, um, with good valleys. But we've sold most of our property now um, and to semi-retire. We've been... That's been happening now for about seven years, I think it is. Yeah. Um, but we've still, we've still got enough country to run about uh, two, two, 200 to 300 sheep. Um, we were lucky enough to be able to sell the better country to the neighbour who wanted to grow crop on. And we could keep the house block and the shearing sheds and the sheep yards, which allowed me to, to uh, continue on with a kelpie stud, which is what my interest is nowadays, is to... Continue on to the Kelpie stud, breed good dogs, compete at trials, and go and uh, enjoy myself working the dogs at, in competitions. So, what's a, an average day look like for Kevin Howe? <laughs> Get up in the morning, uh, let the big dogs out into their big day run, um, go inside, have breakfast, come back out, feed the pups. And then get the rake and the shovel and clean up after the pups. <laughs> uh, a lot of that, a lot of time spent cleaning up after dogs. Yeah, uh, that's one of the not so good parts of it. But when you go out there and the dogs all love to see you and want to jump on you and want to play with you and pups want to chew your socks and all that sort of stuff, that's what makes it really enjoyable to me. Because yeah. uh, dogs are my mates and. Well, if you've got a dog with you, you're never lonely. Very true. Yeah. So you do a um, bit, of, bit of training during the day as well? Uh, try and fit some training in between other things, yeah. Well, yeah. when COVID was on, I went crazy and started and put in a veggie garden, so that keeps me fairly busy <laughs> as well. Kay's got a nice flower garden, um, so we've got to keep that in shape as well. And with all this rain... You mow the lawn one day and it looks like it needs mowing again the next day. It's grown that well. <laughs> and uh, when you were working, mate, uh, what, what were you doing for work and how were you using your dogs in, in the day-to-day -day life then? Um, I had a fairly mixed working life. I was a share farmer, a share farmer growing wheat on other people's properties. Uh, and between that, I'd go home and help my father on the farm and that's when I needed the dogs to help him on the farm. And then at one stage I took over one of his farms, I took over the hill farm and uh, I needed the dogs there. But most of that was only uh, in between shearing after, like if, it, if you had a wet day or something like that, you'd go out and do some work on the farm. Or at weekends, you'd go and do some work on the farm with the dogs. Uh, but when I was shearing, the dogs had to stay, in the, stay at home because you couldn't take your dogs to the to the other farmer's place. So it was a bit of a mixed way I did everything. Uh, but my farm wasn't big enough to make enough money off by itself, so that's why I had to go share farming and uh, and shearing and wool carting. So I did a little bit of everything to, uh, to make money and anyway, we got through and enjoyed life. And um, 
yeah, I've got to the stage where I am now, and I'm really enjoying life now with uh, with the dogs and relaxing a bit more and with not having to work so hard. Did you need a different or a particular type of dog because you weren't on the property all the time and um, and with the workload you're doing, working through uh, for on different properties? Yeah, I, I always liked a dog that would cast well and um, and muster by itself. Uh, I could actually send dogs into hill country and they'd go and find the stock themselves. So I've always looked for that dog ever since. Uh, these are only crossbred dogs that my father gave me, but they were crossed between border collies and kelpies. But uh, but they had that natural instinct to be able to do that. And when I changed over to the purebred kelpies, I was always looking for that dog that had the good cast and the ability to search for sheep in hill country. And then when I started going to trials, I realised that you had to teach your dog a little bit more when you started doing yard work because until I started trialling, I never ever had a dog that would back sheep. Yeah. Uh, I just did with the dogs barking up the side. But then I was told that the dog had to back sheep if you want to be successful at a trial. So I started teaching my old crossbred dogs to back sheep and they they took to it like ducks to water. And uh, I started doing pretty well with old crossbred dogs. And then I gradually got more and more kelpies and the old crossbred dogs faded out with old age and then the purebred kelpies took over. And were you using the... You're all right, mate. Sorry, man. I was, I was lucky enough to lucky enough to be able to buy a an old very well bred old bitch Barambogi Tracy, who was um, by Barambogi Mac out of White's Tracy, and I took her to Chris Stapleton's place to Capri Watch, and that's where I got my first champion dog from, um, Karana Seiko, and he won the National Kelpie Trial for me. He won the New South Wales Yard Dog Championships. Um, he won heaps and heaps of other championships and he was just a fantastic dog at home. And and he taught me that it, a dog didn't have to be racing around barking and carrying on all the time to move stock. He just did it all with his own presence and uh, and strength. He was just a very, very dominant type dog on stock, but he did it all very calmly. So uh, I've looked for that trait in all my other dogs ever since. And you still got a lot of Seiko in your blood today? Yeah, it's getting thinner now, of course, but uh, it's still on both sides of the pedigrees of all the dogs that I'm breeding nowadays. It's a long way back now, but it's still, still, it's still in there. So tell us a little bit about your current team you've got there at the moment. I'm pretty happy with the current team I've got at the moment. They're, I've always aimed at breeding utility-type dogs, and the dogs I've got at the moment are what I would call utility dogs. They're not a straight-out yard dog, uh, and they're not a, a three-sheep-type dog. They're a dog that can you can do your you can do a three-sheep trial with them, you can do a yard trial with them, and you can do a utility trial with them which means that they're a very, very good dog at home on all sorts of different situations because we have where we are now, some of the country we, we kept is fairly hilly country and if the stock get in there, you need a pretty good dog to get them back out again. 
and and I don't go up there looking for stock. The dogs got to do that. So I send the dog up there and let them bring them out. And and why did you turn to the purebred um, kelpies? Why did you steer towards the purebred collies? Uh, my first dog was a collie when I first left school. When I was sixteen, uh, she was a beautiful dog. Had her all her life uh, until she died of old age. Um, she was that faithful that when, when I met Kay, uh, this this dog would walk between us and not let us walk together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when we never went for a walk. This little, this little border collie bitch would walk between us so that we we couldn't actually walk right side by side. <laughs> you know, she was a lovely dog and very talented dog, but she was only a paddock dog only. She uh, she was very soft when it went to yard work. Um, the, the main reason why I went to the Kelpie was because it's the Australian dog, I thought. And they're a very, very beautiful looking dog. Um, they're shorter haired because I had trouble with the first dog I had because of the long haired dog. I had trouble with the grass seeds in its feet. Um, so I thought I'd go, go for the Kelpie that had the lot cleaner feet and shorter coat, which made them much more suitable for the Australian conditions, I thought. Yep. And, uh, and you probably notice that most water collies nowadays have been converted over to the short coat too. So they've, they've seen the advantage of that as well. Absolutely. And... What, we, you're right, yeah. what do you like about the breeding these days? You obviously do a bit. Um, I like to do different matings to see what comes from it. Um, and with a stud, you have to go to outside dogs every now and then because you can't keep breeding to your own dogs all the time. Otherwise, you become too inbred. So uh, I, uh, that's one reason why I like going to trials as well, to uh, try and pick out some dogs that I really like and uh, maybe use them as a sire. And then you wait till the pups grow up and see what their ability is. And if that works out, it works out. If it doesn't, well, yeah. don't, don't try that one again. You go somewhere else. And <laughs> what are you we have had some very good out outcrosses, which uh, has worked re very well for us. Yep. Um, Tony Parsons, the man that wrote all the books, Karawara stud, he loaned us, he was good enough to loan us a bitch that we bred from. I put my old Corona Duke over her. And we bred Corona Sammy, and Sammy won a national copy trial for me. Then she had two sons. One of those sons won a national copy trial and the other one won three national copy trials. Yeah, so right. that was a real success story going out to the Karawara stud. And the reason why I was keen to go to Karawara was because of their renowned ability to cast and the natural breakout that the dogs had in them. And that breakout, even though they were joined to, Kel the, to my, my line of Kelpies, they still the progeny from that mating still had the natural breakout, which is something that I really like. Um, I don't know whether your listeners understand what breakout is, but would you like do, me do to, you explain want to explain that? that? Yeah, 100% please, mate. Righto. <laughs> um, 
breakout is when dogs are working sheep and the sheep tries to break. Instead of the dog running to the shoulder to get there as quick as it can to head the sheep off, it actually breaks away from the sheep and gets further out. That allows the sheep to go a little bit further, but it guarantees that the dogs are going to finish up in front of it and not alongside of it, chasing it further away. So the sheep actually slows down because the dog's breaking away from it until the dog then curls around and gets around in front of the sheep and puts, pulls the sheep up and brings the sheep back nice and calmly. Whereas if a dog hasn't got breakout and the sheep takes off in a hurry and a dog tries to catch it and he's only running beside its shoulder, he's only making the sheep run away faster. So that's, that's, what, that's why I like breakout. Explained very well, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> We've got a few questions here. Laura's going to jump on a couple here. Oh, one here from Chris Egan. When breeding or looking at outside lines, do you have anyone in particular you bounce ideas or ask opinions of? Sorry, I missed that. I missed when, the last half. That's all right. Um, when you're looking for outside lines, do you have yep. anyone in particular that you bounce ideas off or ask their opinion? Um. Yeah, my my good the, the good one. I bounce everything off my wife Kay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer, I think. <laughs> she's she's my greatest supporter and she's my greatest critic. <laughs> so, if, if I've got a dog that I'm I like and it's got some fault and I'm too blind to see it, <laughs> she will point that out to me because sometimes yeah. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit favour I favour some dogs sometimes because I like them. Out as you break that news to your mate, nice and softly, nice and gently, I hope. No, she's not real good at breaking things softly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all right. Another question here from Kane Gardner. What What's some of the outside dogs you like and have used most recently that have worked well with your dogs? Um, Dean Inch's Rafa, I, I used over one of my bitches. And he produced a really nice little bitch for me. Um, she's only, she's about 15 months old now. I haven't started trialling her yet. Um, she came on season not long ago, so she's joined now, so she won't be trialling again for a while. Uh, but once once she rears the pups, I'll have her out trialling. And, yeah, that was, a, that was a good mating for me. She's a, she's got um, Rafa's strength. Um, but she got she got the crown of footwork and balance and cover, so it really worked well. So I'm looking forward to that mating. I've I put my very good dog Roy over her. He was a very good utility type dog. So I expect those pups to be very good utility type dogs with strength. So they that's that's the plan anyway. Let's hope it works that way. Mate, you must spend countless hours up at night time thinking about. You know litters and and um, what you know what direction you want to go. What are you looking for when thinking about before breeding a litter or considering a future joining? If I'm using my own dogs to breed a litter, I'll try and complement. If the female lacks a little bit of something, I'll try and use a dog that's a little bit over the top in that area. Say for example, if um, the female's a little bit soft, I'll use one of the more aggressive, um, forceful type 
males or if it's the other way around if the female's a little bit aggressive and it works a little bit too close i'll use one of the male dogs that's got more footwork and more distance to try and average the pups out to uh, to what to what i want and i i breed for what i want um i do sell a lot of pups but i breed for what i want and the, and um the customers have got to be satisfied with what i want not with, not with what they want <laughs> And most most of our my farmer clients like the type of dog that I like anyway. Um, that's why they keep coming back. Where where are your pups going, mate? Like you mentioned, farmers there. Um, you do a bit of trialing yourself, or are you finding a variety in in homes that your pups are going to? Most of them are going to farming situations. Yeah. Um, there's not many trialers by by dogs. Um, everybody thinks their own dog's the best, of course. Yep. So um, <laughs> there's not not many trialers uh, buy pups off me. There are some that come along and, and bring a, a female to one of my males to breed a litter. Um, a few trialing fellas are doing that, but there's not not very many of them actually buying buying a pup. They're breeding their own by going away to another dog or something like doing it that way. And do you think the farmers that um, consistently buy um, dogs off yourself, it's because they've, they've learned how to handle that particular style of dog and to get on with it and they've created a bond and it's, they're comfortable with that? Yeah, um, we try and breed a dog that's got natural ability, which makes it much easier for the farmer. Yep. Uh, like a lot of my clients will ring me up later and say, I never even had to train that dog. It just knew what to do. Uh, so that makes it a lot easier for them. And of course, the farmer doesn't doesn't uh, need as much perfection as what us trialling people do. So they're happy with, as long as the dog's mustering the sheep and keeping the sheep in a bunch. And, and then when they get to the yard, they put a bit of pressure on and push them through the yard for them. They're happy with all that. How do you go about picking a pup for yourself and has that changed over the years? Uh, it has changed in the, probably in the last 20 years <laughs> because I've been doing it for that long. Um, <laughs> because when I first started, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I, when I first started, I started going along to dog trials just to see what people did and what dogs did certain things. And that's how I learned how to trial, just by going along to, other, to dog trials and watching. I didn't compete for a fair while. I just went along and worked out what needed to be done and then went home and tried to do it myself. So that's how I eventually got started trialling. Uh, and then I developed an idea of what type of dog I wanted and it was the utility type dog that I was aiming for. And uh, I think my trialling record has proven that I've been pretty successful at breeding the utility type dog because I do a little bit of skiding now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, go for it. Because I was uh, record book speaks for itself, mate. Because I've run, I've won nine national company trials, which are utility trials, and come second thirteen times. So that sort of wow. speaks pretty well for utility type dogs that we've got. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, question here from Chris Egan. Because you have so many good older dogs, how are you choosing the younger dogs to step up next? 
Are you looking at traits along the way that remind you of older dogs? Are you looking for something better than the older dogs or are you trusting from the breeding you have done that when you bring a dog on, it's just going to have what you want and need? Pretty much all of those, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, you do look for traits that were in the old dog, in the young dog, yeah. Um, one thing that I am aiming for now in my younger dogs is trying a little bit more free bark. But quite often when you go for free bark, you lose that outside ability. Um, so it's a bit of a fine line. Uh, to get the, no one's got the perfect dog. I haven't got the perfect dog, never have had, but I've had some that I thought were pretty close to it. Uh, but yes, that's what one thing I'm working on now is trying to get a little bit more free bark, but try and still keep that natural paddock work. Uh, and I think I've got some young pups there now that are, are going to fill that bill for me. And how, how'd you go about that? Like when you identified or went, oh, I want a bit of free bark, how, what was your thought process? Like, did you start looking at different outside dogs? And, and No, actually, one of the ones that did well for me was I was breeding from a bitch and only using her as a commercial bitch, selling all the pups to uh, the farmers until I started getting some emails back of the pups that I'd sold when they were two and three years old. And, uh, and these pups are showing outstanding work. So I thought, well, if they're doing some outstanding work for these people, maybe I should keep one or two of those ones and <laughs> look at them. <laughs> so I have done that. I've, uh, I've kept a litter. Uh, the female that I was breeding from getting old now, she only had two pups. So I kept both of those and they're both completely different in the work style, which is unusual when you breed, when you do line breeding, you usually get pretty much consistency, but they're both very much different. The little female is very calm and very strong and does all her work with just a walk up. Uh, whereas the male dog is, he's quite calm too, but as soon as the sheep stop moving, He'll come in and start using his big bark, yeah. Uh, which is what I'm, what I'm, re I really like. I'm pretty excited about that with him. Um, you probably know that young dog Ned that I bought back, would you, Dan? Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, they're the same breeding as what he is, and Ned himself is a very good paddock dog with a very big cast, but he's got virtually no bark. Whereas this young dog is a full brother to him. And he's got that natural bark that he knows when to use it. Uh, if sheep stop in a gateway, he's only five months old, but if sheep yeah. stop in a gateway, he'll come in and, and he'll put that bark on and he knows when to use it. And then once the sheep move, he'll move back off again and uh, and go quiet again. And I'm pretty happy about that. that. That's what I've been looking for. And hopefully I found it in this little fella. So not only are you breeding bark, you're breeding a bit of intelligence there as well. Oh, he's a smart little fella, yeah. 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 Any, any advice to anyone going to purchase their first pup? Um, that the sound went a little bit funny there. That's all Could right. Um, any advice to someone wanting to purchase a pup, oh. like their first pup? Yeah. Um, well, um, try and purchase a pup 
from someone that you can get a look at the mother and the father if you can and see if their work style of both the parents are what you want your pup to turn out to be. If you can't actually see the dogs themselves, try and find out a bit about the dogs by asking questions of people that might know that are, or ask the owner of the sire and the owner of the dam what the dogs are like. And with this modern age of uh, videos, ask for a video. And then you should be able to see the traits in those dogs, that you're, what you're looking for. Mate, who, talking about those traits, uh, who are the most influential dogs that got you to where you are today? Uh, and what made them special to you? Or makes them, if there's something still currently in your, in your current team? Uh, Milburn Basil was one dog that had a big influence on our stud. Um, Chris Stapleton's Capri Watch in the early days, he had a big in influence as well. And even the original bitch we bought, Baron Bogey Tracy, she had, uh, she would buy Baron Bogey Mac, who uh, in the early days, if you didn't have Baron Bogey Mac in your dog, um, you needed to go somewhere and get some Mac in your dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what, what was so so obviously um we've we've heard a few stories about mac what made mac a special dog in your eyes uh his footwork was was very good very good cover he's a very strong dog he would back back away from nothing he had a reasonable amount of bite which would not be tolerated today in the hard trial but yep. um he he knew when to use it and knew when to get how to get results he was, was a very good dog and he, he bred on very well. Some dogs don't bred on, but Mac bred on very well. And Milburn Basil is another dog that bred on very well. And you could breed fairly close with Mac uh, with uh, Milburn Basil uh, and uh, still get good results. Like you didn't lose anything by breeding closely. Yep. Another dog that had a big influence on our stud was um, the female um, Carawarra Mallee that Tony Parsons loaned me. Um, she she actually put the the cast and the breakout in our dogs that we've been able to maintain down through the lines. So the Carawarra is my idea of where you go if you want to put cast in your dogs. In, in relation to um, the dogs and bitches in joinings, how closely do you reckon the pups throw back to a dog or back to the bitch? Who do you reckon has most influence? A lot of people say they've got females got more influence than the male but i i'm not too sure about that um we've we've had a, a lot of pups throw to the to the male but that could be because they are line bred as well because both male and female have got similar bloodline behind them so you couldn't you can't say that there's going to be a lot of difference in the pups anyway yeah. it's only when you do an outcross that you can uh, you can see the difference between your dogs and the dog you used over the bitch. Uh, you might be able to see the different traits there. How closely do you find you like to line breed? I think line breeding is very important if you want consistency in your dog. Um, but I think you've probably got to be a bit careful not to go too close for too long. Otherwise, they say you lose stamina and you lose size. Um, but 
for consistency, I think you have to do some line beating. But when you when you do an outcross, though, you got to try and go to a dog that's going to complement your dogs and uh, not take away anything that you want to keep in your dog. It's a bit of a fine line, all that sort of thing. Um, I believe it is. But I've been talking to a lot of stud ram breeders, a lot of stud bull breeders, and they all say they should breed from the most dominant ram or the most dominant bull. And I believe the same sort of thing with dogs. If, you, if you've got a dog that's a little bit over the top, uh, a little bit hard to handle, I think he's the one you should be breeding from. Not that little fellow that just says, when you ask him to do something, he says, yes, boss. Yeah. Uh, you want you want that bloke that's going to answer you back. He's going to breed on better for you. You're, you're pretty modest in talking about influential dogs there. You didn't mention any of your own. Um, you'd have to say Abba would have been pretty uh, influential in the Karana Campbell, didn't you? Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, every bitch I've got at home at the moment, uh, apart from the young ones, are by Abba. Yep. So, uh, yeah, he, he was very influential. But that all, that all started back with Seiko, though. Um, because Seiko was the, the dog that started it all for me. And then uh, um, oh, I lost my train of thought there. No, no you're um, all right. What, what made Abba, you said Abba started with Seiko, but what made Abba a special dog? Um, I was a bit lucky to get Abra actually because I was breeding as a fellow by the name of Don Abra from uh, over near Scone. He bought a, a bitch off me and he used to keep bringing her over to my place to join her and breed pups. And we used to share the litter. And uh, we did this. And he said to me one day, How about we take this bitch to Michael Johnson's Buster, Bowling Buster? So we, I agreed to do that. So he brought her over and we took her over and joined her to Buster. And he had a litter at his place and he rang up one day and he said, I've got a puppy for you. And I'd already had the pup sold over the phone. <laughs> and uh, when, when he dropped the pup off at my place, I put him on sheep. He was about five months old at the time. Put him on sheep and I really liked him. And... Uh, the fellow was going to ring back that night and let me know. I had two pups for him, that one, which is five months, or another one, which is about eight or nine months old, uh, and another little one that was only just ready to go. He was only about eight weeks old, and they were three different prices. So anyway, he rang back that night, and he, he said, oh, if you don't mind, I'll just take the little eight-week-old fellow. He's a little bit cheaper. And I just said to him, oh, that's all right. I don't mind. <laughs> so that way I... That way I was able to keep the one I liked, the one called Abba. Uh, and I called him Abba because of uh, Don Abra, the fellow that uh, was the owner of the bitch. Because I yeah. wanted a little bit of a connection there. And uh, he, he was he's a marvellous dog, that dog. He's still alive, but he's uh, having trouble with arthritis at the moment. Um, he just learnt how to handle stock his own way. And... Uh, he just—he was a very brainy dog. Um, he won two national copy trials himself. Won this New South Wales Yard Dog, uh, and he's—he's he's a dog that breeds on very well as well. Um, 
and Roy's a son of his, Corona Roy, and I think Roy is going to take off, take up where Abba left off. I hope with breeding good pups because yeah. I've uh, I've got some good pups by him now, and a lot of other people have got some good pups by him. So let's hope that he keeps on producing those good ones as well. Fantastic. And uh, let's hope they keep going, mate. And I hope you do breed some more, keep breeding some more good pups out of that, out of that bloodline. Well, you've, you've got a sister to Abra anyway. Well, I do. She's, uh, she's a pet these right. days. What's that? She's a pet these days. She uh, she lives with the uh, with the children's mother, and uh, so they get to they bring her over every now and then. When the kids come and stay with me for a week, occasionally I get a, a third kid. And uh, apart from working soccer ball, she gets to work sheep. And uh, yeah, no, she's not only a great work dog and a very keen work dog at that, but she's a great loyal companion as well. So yeah. she's the type of dog you put her in any situation, and she's just happy just to relax and chill and be part of the family or once she sees stocks she's happy to go to work so yeah, yeah i actually made a mistake i said she was a um, sister to abba she's actually sister to roy isn't she to roy correct yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. my mistake uh, no nah, that's all right she's she's given me a couple of handy pups as well mate so um, i'm happy to ride that bandwagon there yeah i'm, I'm pleased you've got that connection there that nah, thank you how do you go about starting a pup? Um, I've got a training mob of sheep, which are very quiet. Um, as soon as I see a dog, they'll come to me. But I, I do. I start my pups off in a what I call a big holding yard. I don't. I don't like small yards at all to start pups off. Um, I use a big yard, which is about forty meters by forty meters. Um, and the idea of using a big area is so the dog can show me what their natural ability is. So I just let the dog, let the little pup, and sometimes it's a whole litter. Sometimes I put the whole litter in the yard with the training log and see what they do. And you don't ask them to do anything. You just allow them to do what they want to do. And they might, they might just want to chase for a start. And that's what I call switching their motor on. Uh, so just let them chase the sheep around a little bit. And then the next time you bring them out, you might only put one in at a time instead of putting the whole litter in. And see what the little one does on his own. And hopefully what he'll start doing is actually following the head of the sheep and finish up going around and around the mob. And then once the pup starts going around and around, that's when I step in and start using what I call the block system, which I think you're all familiar with. So you block the pup and he goes back the other way. Um, I'd, a lot of people use a garden rake, but I find a garden rake very stiff and hard to use. I've got a little nylon stick, which is only about half an inch thick. And I tie a little flag on the end of it. And it's the flag that you actually influence the pup with by waving the flag or tapping it on the ground. And I find it much more flexible than what a rake is. And... Uh, and it's suitable for different all sorts of different pups. Like you might have a little soft pup that's um, he's easily offended, so you can be very gentle with the flag by leaving it on the ground and just maybe dragging around a little bit. And then you might have a more boisterous one that wants to run over top of you. Well, you can whack the whack it on the ground and wave the flag around a lot, 
and get him to take a bit of notice of you. So it's very flexible. First, I start first started off using branches off trees, yeah. and then because I'm a bit of a greenie, I didn't like breaking branches off trees <laughs> all the time. So I thought, well, I thought, well, I'll make one make one that I can keep on using. So that's why I used the the they stick with a little flag on the end of it. Because you put so much um, thought into your breeding program, do you find it hard not to have expectations when you show your pup stock at first? the first time the first couple of times oh yeah you, you uh if you have one that doesn't want to work it's a bit disappointing um so you just take him away you don't you don't rouse on them for not working you just take them away give them a pat take them away bring them back again in a fortnight's time and uh, try and create a situation where the uh, training mob or the stock you've got the dog pup working on that they run around it's the, it's the movement of the stock that switches the pup on. So if the training mob are too tame and don't move enough, you've got to go and get a few uh, half-grown crossbred lambs and put in there with him because you know that they're going to run around a bit. And, th and it's usually the movement that switches them on and gets them going. Yeah. So you've told us a bit of how, how you start your pups and, and what age, but how much effort do you put into your training after they've started? Um, it's um, not, I don't give them a lot of training. I don't do it often. Um, I don't do it for long periods. I think the most important thing is um, to watch your pup, learn from your pup what, what he wants and, and give him the instructions or the encouragement that he needs uh, so that he develops his own style and uh, you're not trying to dominate and make him the same as your old dog was. Let, you, it, let your new pup be what he is going to be, not what you was hoping he was going to be if he wanted him to be like the old dog. I mean, we all hope that we're going to get a repeat of our old dog, but sometimes uh, your pup will turn out even better than what the old dog was. Yeah. How do you know when a pup's ready or a dog is ready for more? Oh, I think they tell you themselves when they're ready for more. Um, they'll just gradually do more and more. Um, and you, you you put little tests on them every now and then. As mine start to do more and more work, I'll actually put let them work the sheep right up onto the fence, nice and tight on the fence. And then I'll put myself in a position which... Um, um, gets the little pup to go around the back of the sheep and that's a real test in, of strength itself for the pup to squeeze his way along the fence in behind the sheep. So that's one of the little tests I do put on them as they're starting to develop their work. Uh, Chris Shig has asked, chasing some advice on the transition from the training pen to doing small real jobs what should i be looking for in my dog that tells me he's ready and what can i do to help him be successful at doing some small jobs uh well because i've training been training mine in a big yard which is 40 meters by 40 meters you're going to know by the time you let him out well i'll only let him out in the open on the training mob anyway 
you don't put him on a, a wild lot of sheep with little baby lambs on. You put him on your training mob outside in the open and uh, you were going to be fairly confident that he's going to do the job properly for you. But you still treat it as a training situation. Um, and then once you're confident that he, that he can handle that, and he's probably not going to be, you're not going to do it that at six months old. You're going to do, wait till he's probably 12 months old before you put him into a real work situation where he's going to ask him to handle a mob on his own of sheep that have uh, that are not dog broken. Um, but you'll know from what he's done in the big yard whether he's ready or not to go out in the open. That's why I like a big yard. We've got a couple of questions on cast here, so we might split it amongst them. So we've got Donna Lindley has asked, how do you go about getting a good cast on a dog? Uh, number one, breeding. Um, the dog has to have cast in their breeding. And then you can exaggerate their cast uh, with good training. And the way I do that is uh, once the dog has been taught his left and his right, uh, I'll get off centre and make, make the dog come my side when I'm off centre on the mob, make him come my side. So you've got to get wider to get around me to get around the other side of the mob. Uh, and that's all still done in the training yard, the big training yard, because you've got room to do it in there. Uh, but then as the pup gets older, you do that out in the open and you exaggerate it even more and more. And when the pup's old enough to be able to accept you cracking a whip at him, I'll actually crack the whip when he's, at, when he's directly level with me uh, on his outrun going out around the sheep. If you do it too soon, you're going to pull him up. And if you do it too late, it's not going to have any effect. So you've got to do it at just the right time when he's directly at uh, 40, uh, half the circle. A bit hard yeah. to describe it. <laughs> but when, he, when he's yeah halfway, halfway there, basically, as he's coming past you. Yeah. So because you've taught him left or right, you can actually get off centre and direct him to come around you which makes them come wider. Bailey Stapleton has asked, how do you go about getting the searching instinct strong when starting out with a young dog? Um, well, I've got these two five-month-old pups at home at the moment that are, I'll let them out for a run every morning while I'm having breakfast, and they've got that way now that they go and find my training mob. <laughs> and the training mob are quite often in different places. They might be up behind the machinery shed or they might be over behind the dam or they could be down the little paddock where they normally run. And these two pups have got that way now that they go looking for them. So to me, that's their first learning of searching for stock. Uh, and that's, they're doing that without me being there. And some people probably frown on that. But um, they're not doing any harm. They're, they're actually learning from it, I think. But when you talk about, as the dog gets older, though, there are other ways you can get some research up into the hill country. And uh, I think in that article that I wrote for your magazine. You explained it, uh, it well. I described how you, um, for the 
first of all, you just uh, you work the sheep up into the hills, into the timber, with the dog. Just wait till they disappear, and then send your dog after them, so the dog knows where they are. And then each time you do that, you wait a bit longer till the sheep are further away, and that way they learn to search for sheep in country where you can't see the sheep, and or the dog can't see the sheep when he first starts. So they, they learn by, um, the, well, first of all, when you're doing it that way, they've got a fresh smell of where the sheep have been. Um, they can still hear the sheep moving through the scrub and uh, they can um, probably um, using their nose and their, and, their, and their ears to work it all out. And th thanks for writing that um, article, mate. And anyone wanting to read about that, you'll find that in the March uh, issue of the Australian Working Stock Dog magazine. And uh, you'll see a nice little uh, picture of Kev in there as well. So uh, thanks for that, Kev. We appreciate that, the effort you went to to describe that. That's fine. How would you describe what feel looks like in a dog? Um. People have got a different idea about feels. Everybody's got their own opinion on it. Uh, feel is a little bit like breakout and cast. It's actually inherited from one dog to another. Um, you can't put feel in a dog that hasn't got feel, but you can you can make them uh, bring it out a little bit more with a, a few few signals like stops and stays and steadies. And that sort of thing that'll allow the dog to understand that you only want them to be more careful and uh but uh yeah feel is something that you'll see in a pup even when he's only little you'll notice it if he's actually got it he's not the one that's going to come in like a bulldozer he's the one that's going to sort of read the sheep a bit and watch them and not do anything at all for a while until he needs to Very right. I've got a question here from Mark Mangold. Do you think you can have too much cast that is too big and wide? Never. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are times when you um, want to get things done in a hurry. So you, you will actually try and narrow your cast down, but that, that can be done. Once you, you're a bit more experienced at what you're doing, you can, you can actually uh, give the dog the indicated to go a certain way and rather than ask him to get right out you'll uh, you'll turn your body a different way and, and make him cast narrower uh, a bit hard to describe how to do it I, I can show you how to do it but <laughs> it's a bit hard to describe how to do it that's all right well uh, i'll hit you up around a campfire one night mate <laughs> so how long have you been trialling, Kevin? Uh, Kay and I talked about that the other night. I think it's around about 38 years. Yeah. That, that'd be 1983, mate. That'd be right. Yeah, that'd be right. I, I can vouch for That's a good, good vintage, <laughs> that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, righto. <laughs> <laughs> about when you were born, was it? It was, mate. It was. <laughs> baby. So you've obviously done a little bit of every style of trialing. Um, 
What one has been your favourite? What trial has been my favourite? Uh, what style of trialling? Like what do you what you've done, you do a bit of three shaping, yards, utility, uh, a bit of, had a crack at cattle. What what's your preference? Uh, obviously, prefer the utility trial because that's the type of dog that I try to breed is the utility dog, yeah. and uh, it's a much bigger thrill, I believe. Well, I feel a bigger thrill when I win a utility trial than what I do when I win a yard trial. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of skill involved in utility type trialing. There's a lot of skill in all trials, but uh, I think um, to me, I enjoy utility trials the best. I enjoy three sheep trials as well. Um, and I enjoy yard trials. Um, I've got a competitive nature. That's why. That's why I like all trials. <laughs> um, I, I grew up being a sports person, so I've always had a competitive nature, um, and that's got a little bit to do with why I trial. But and that one of the other reasons why I trial is is because I want to compare my dogs with other people's dogs, and I want to keep an eye out for that special dog that I might want to use as a sire or get a pup from a bitch, whichever the case may be. Is there something that you see handlers struggle with and where do you believe they can improve? Probably uh, reading sheep. Like a lot of the young handlers have trouble reading their sheep. And a lot of that comes from not enough experience in the work situation. So about the only way that people that don't actually work stock for a living can get that experience is to go somewhere or go to a friend's place that does work stock for a living and go and help them for a day or help them for a week or help them at cheering time or something like that and you'll learn from that uh, how to read sheep and that's one of the one of the things you need to do you need to understand why sheep do what they do I mean, some, some sheep do things that you can't even predict, but most sheep are predictable. In your time, have you noticed a change in the way people handle stock and dogs away from trialling? And do you think it's for the better? It's definitely you think for the better. Trialling's had an influence on it? It's, yeah, it's definitely for the better. And uh, a lot of that comes from these training schools that a lot of people are putting on and, uh, and the dog trials that People are coming along and watching. People are learning from all those. Uh, so that's why I think dog handling has improved a lot for those reasons. Um, when I was working in the sale yards, when I first went there, uh, I went there with my utility type dogs, which all the other fellas there with their mad yapping dogs. They said to me, uh, how are your eye dogs going to get on working here? You know, this is a real work situation here. And I said, well, we'll find out, won't we? And they, they realised after a while that dogs with control and uh, that would bark only when they're asked to and in the right position at the right time got the job done a lot better and a lot more efficiently than what their team of mad yapping dogs that were always in the wrong place. Um, they found out that that worked a lot better and I found I was there for eight years and I found at the end of the eight years that a lot of those fellas there were working their dogs totally different to what they were the first year I went there. 
Yeah. So uh, I think that just watch the just watching the different uh, style of dog, um, they learnt from that. They, and do you they, think they, the... slowed, they slowed their own dogs down? Yeah. And do you think the level, like we spoke before about like intelligence in dogs, do you think the level of intelligence of dogs has some differ in that as well? Like some dogs that are happy to just bark a lot as well don't don't have the same thought process as a dog that is more biddable? Yeah, that's true. I, I believe it's true. Uh, a dog that's barking like mad with his tail up in the air has uh, basically got his brain switched off, I think. It's the dog with his tail down and watching what's happening and only barking when he's asked to or when he thinks he needs to. That's the dog that's thinking about what he's, the job is in front of him. Uh, it's, it's more, it's more of, sorry, it's, it's more effective to like a bark on command or a bark when the dog thinks he needs to uh, is much more, works much better than a continuous bark all the time. Because the hand that gets sick of it, the sheep get sick of it, uh, and the sheep finish up, they just bottle up and won't go anywhere. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, bark on command is a bit like shock treatment. It just works like a shock treatment thing. <laughs> just get the dog in the right place and get him to bark, and just away they go. Bailey Stapleton has asked, how do you give your more paddock-type dogs enough strength in the yards to back and stand up to sheep that turn on them? How do we give them enough strength, mm. you say? Yeah. Um, hopefully you've read that in there. And if you haven't, I think he's more asking about training. Um, so a dog that's a bit more paddocky, um, how would you give it a bit more strength to back itself? Like how would you train that into a dog that may not have it there genetically oh, or it might be second-guessing itself? Oh, you mean build its confidence? Correct. Oh, okay. Um, basically, let it have a win. Like, make sure that they're not being worked on rams or crossbred ewes that have got little lambs on them or something like that that might come out and give them a, a bit of a thump. Um, start them off on, say, half-grown sheep that are easy to move, that have, that have got a fear of a dog. So the pup learns that if he comes in, the sheep's going to move away from him and just let his confidence build up that way. Very good answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if you had the opportunity to make a change in any form of trialling, what would it be? I think trialling's in a very good place at the moment. Um, the three sheep trialers, have, they've been doing that for many, many years and I and the people that designed that trial really put a lot of thought into it. And that trial tests the dog out in a lot of different areas. It tests them in their cast. It tests them in their footwork. Tests them in their strength on the bridge. Um, so whoever designed the three-sheep trial really knew what he was doing. So I think that trial is as good as what it's ever going to get. Yard trialling is in a good place too. Uh, when I first started trialling, Yard trolling were only, uh, each yard was only a tiny little yard, about 10 foot square or three meters square. I mean, I'm one of the older fellas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and 
and the sheep came out of the drench race into the back of the draft area and didn't go back out in the open at all. Whereas I think now that when sheep are drafted off, they go back out in the open, they have to be picked up again. That shows more outside type work. Uh, and then when you get into the tight spots like bench race, uh, draft and the truck platform, it shows the, the hard, tough work. So that pretty well covers all, as you expect, of a, an all-round yard type dog. So I think yard trials are in a good place at the moment too. And, yeah, and the, when you combine the three-sheep trial and the yard trial together in one trial as a utility trial, well, you've got a good trial there as well, which tests the dog out in all sorts of areas. So I think, I, I can't think of any way that you could improve trials at the moment. Yeah, and we're seeing a bit of an uptake in cattle trialling uh, in New South Wales of recent times. What, what What's your take on that? Um, that's, that's probably a good thing for those that have to work cattle and want to work cattle. I'm not keen on working cattle myself. Um, my dogs, to me, are too valuable to get hurt. So I, I, I've got no intentions of ever working in a cattle trial ever again. Yep. Uh, for that, for that reason, I, I believe that that's what why Abba's got so much trouble at the moment with his arthritis, because he got rolled at Taralga one year with a with a, one of those black cows rolled him along the ground for a while. And I don't think that did him much good. Yep. Fair enough. Do you have a favourite trial to participate in? Uh, obviously, the National Copy Trial is my favourite. Um, you're competing against the best utility dogs there is. Have you had uh, any luck in those? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you know the answer to that one, Dan. <laughs> yeah. No, that the, the National Copy yeah, Trial definitely is the trial that I... Uh, aim for every year i don't think i don't think i've missed one now for a long long time guys we're just frozen there for a sec so oh we back here yeah yeah sorry mate you just froze there for a minute oh i was just saying that uh the national copy trial is obviously my favorite trial and i think it's many many years since i've missed one i've i've been going to one every, every time there's one on i go to it yeah. Sorry, mate, we just lost you for a second there. We had a bit of um, poor service. Um, you were talking about utility, the National Copper Fuel Trial. Yeah, that's my favourite trial. You asked me what my favourite trial was, so that is my uh, favourite yes. trial. Yes. Yep, and have you, with the scorecard like you have, mate, have you missed one? Have I missed a copy trial? Yeah. Um, yeah. When was it? Uh, um, 1994, I missed one. Yeah, okay. So, so you really like them, Do you consider them a holiday when you get out and do that? Chase your utility trials and make the most of what you can while you're away? Um, Kay doesn't consider it a holiday at all. <laughs> she said the only way to have a real holiday is leave the dogs at home. <laughs> yeah, there's no fun in that. <laughs> no. So will you uh, be heading to Tasmania this year? Sorry? Will you be heading down to Tasmania for it this year? Yeah, Kay's got the boat booked and the caravan um, booked up the high when we get over there. So, yeah, we're heading over to Tassie. 
Got to do a bit of training before then. Good luck with it all. Might I have another one to add to that list? Try to. Yeah, got <laughs> I want number 10. Yeah, I will yeah, go for it, mate. You said you're very competitive or there's a, that's that streak coming out in you there. But uh, when starting out, was it, sorry? Yeah, you were saying something about competitive, were you? Yeah, I said um, you, you said earlier that you're very competitive. So another 10, that, uh, that goes to show your competitive streak. Yeah, Gary White said to me when I was at Ningham at his trial last, last time, he said, you'd rather die than give away a point out of there on the field, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you answer him? Yeah, I think, I think the way I try and save every point was answered him well enough. <laughs> yeah. he's a great he's a great fellow and he's a great um great fellow to compete against and uh, and he he takes it all in the right right way like he encourages you and he's happy when you win and uh, i'm i'm the same way with him when he wins i'm happy that he wins that's um, that's what sports is all about isn't it good sportsmanship that's, yeah that's right and Mate, starting out, was it, well, in trialling, who inspired you? Nobody inspired me when I first started out. I, I was keen on dogs, and when I went to this demonstration at the Orange Field Day, I, I, um, that made me even keener to get involved in dogs. So what I started doing was I'd go around to the trials and just sit on the sideline as a spectator and uh, learnt from that. And then... Uh, then after a while, started going along to the trials and having a bit of a go and learnt more from that and just watched all the, the top trials of the day and watched what they did and how they worked their dog and what their dog did to actually get the job done and uh, learnt from that. So you've obviously been very successful. Do you have a most memorable moment, though? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kay and I were talking about that this afternoon. There's actually three. Can I can I mention three? Definitely. <laughs> you can mention four if you like, mate. <laughs> well, obviously when Digger won his third national coffee championship, that was a very memorable moment. And uh, I couldn't even talk to Kay on the phone because I was crying too much, which sounds crazy <laughs> for a bloke. But anyway, no, that's, that's, right. that's, the way, that's the way it affected me. Um because Kay didn't come with me uh, to that trial. That was in Victoria. Uh, so that was when Digger won his third national, which no other dog has ever done, and no other dog has ever done it since. So that's a, a, one of my number one things. The other number one was uh, when I come first, second, and third in the Australian yard at Toowoomba in Queensland. Yep. And that's, that's never been done before and never been done since. So that's a pretty good one. And then when we came home from there, we were home a few days and went to the Orange Field Day and competed in the New South Wales Utility Championships that used to be at the Orange Field Day in those days. And uh, I came first, second, third and fourth there. Yeah. And nobody stayed to watch the final. <laughs> I don't know why. Can I ask you something, Kev? I, you, can, you can be honest if you want. When you did come first, second, and third, and then first, second, third, and fourth, 
did you have a favorite dog that you wanted to win or did you just take out each dog and run on its own merit? Um, I'll take out each dog and run them on their merit. Yep. Um, because the time that I came first, second or third in the Australian yard, my old dog Seiko, was, that was going to be his, his last trial. And he actually came equal first with his brother in that Australian Yard Dog Championship and he'd never won an Australian Yard Dog Championship, I'll take over. He'd won New South Wales one, but he'd never won the Australian. So I had the opportunity to pull up his brother, which is called Stubby, Crown Stubby. Yep. I could have I could have pulled him up and let Seiko win that one, but I didn't. I worked them both on their merits on the day and uh, Stubby came out the winner and my poor old mate Seiko came second. And then another old dog I had called Chad, he came third. I don't think Seiko can complain with three uh, national copy field trials under his belt. That was a um, – no, that no, that was um, – That was Digger. Oh, sorry, that was, that was Digger, sorry. That, that yep. was Seiko. Digger won the copy one. Yeah, yeah, that was, sorry. That was a way back, though. That was in 2001 that year. Yeah, so a lot of you younger fellas wouldn't, wouldn't have known anything about that. That was the year after the Olympics, wasn't it? It was the year after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a message you'd like to get out into the working dog community? Um, yeah, sometimes you see dogs that are not cared for very well. And I'd like to see dogs get cared for better than what they are by some people. Most people are good, but there are some that are not so good. Um, I think that's yeah. a good message to get out, mate. Yeah. A very good message. Mate, and away from dogs, do you have a talent or a hidden, a hobby that people wouldn't really know about? <laughs> no, I, uh, I was a very keen sportsman before I went trialling, but none of that anymore. But the good well, one of the good things about dog trials is you can still do that as you get older, because the dogs are the one doing all the hard work. Um, so I'm, I can still compete with you, young fellas, even though, <laughs> I'm, twice, even though I'm twice your age. That's all right. I just hope to hope to get uh, halfway there, mate. I'll be happy, and a little bit more will be a bonus again. <laughs> no, it's good. Good that all you young fellas are doing what you're doing. Is there anything you'd like us? Um, would you like to see introduced to dog talk? Uh, I think you're you're doing a great job. It's uh, it's it's a it's a credit to you what you are doing. It's a modern technology that I know nothing about, but uh, I'm pleased you people do, because you're getting the word out there amongst people that are interested, and uh, I think. Good on you. Keep it up. No, thank you. I, I, I can't. I've got no suggestions to make anything any better because you, you people are the ones that know all that sort of thing. Well, if, if something does come up, mate, don't be afraid to uh, to shout out and let us know. And just while you do mention modern technology, there, but actually like to thank you because people that don't uh, haven't realised Kevin's actually not at home today because his internet service wasn't good enough. So he's actually gone into town and borrowed a computer and some Wi-Fi off. A friend in town there so not only would we like to thank kevin for um you know putting yourself out but also your friends there for um, being hospitable to you tonight 
Yeah, it was very good of them to do that. And then the good part about that was the young fella Shane is a bit of a computer man, so he made sure everything was going to work right. So that was a great, um, great thing for them to do for us. It's people like you that help us grow Dog Talk, and we really appreciate you getting on, stepping out Thank of your comfort zone and getting on. It's, we really appreciate it, Kevin. Thank Can't you very much. You. Thank you. Just Another, over there. Hope, hope everything went okay. Mate, you're going all right. Still got a couple more questions for you yet. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm not off the hook yet. <laughs> not yet. Is there anyone you'd like us to sit down and do a Q&A with? Yeah, um, there is one fellow that I think would probably be very good for for this. Um, Pip Hudson. I don't think you've had Pip yet, have you? No, we haven't. No, yeah, Pip's we actually... very good. Pip's a very good, very experienced dog man. Uh, he's got a lot of opinions of his own, which will come across pretty well, I think. Um, yeah, I think Pip would be a good fellow to have on. No, thank you, mate. We'll, uh, we'll have a chat to, to Pip. And to be honest with you, when uh, we first wanted to kick off Dog Talk, our, uh, our vision was to actually hit the road and be able to go out and talk to a lot of people. But COVID put a pretty uh, big halt on that, to be honest. Um, so what it saved us in fuel and made, a bit, uh, made us a bit more tech savvy. Mm. But um, yeah, no, we, people was on our radar then. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned it, mate, because uh, let's see if we can organise to, to get him on one night. Yeah, Pip and I used to do training schools together um, in the early days. Uh, Pip would do the three sheep type training and I'd do the yard type training. And we had some great, great times together. He's a real did, you get much, did you get much training done in between the laughter? <laughs> <laughs> no, he, no, he's a marvellous man, that Pip. He could I can entertain. Pip could remember everybody's names and every, every do, all their dogs' names. And I, yeah. I, used to struggle, I used to struggle just with the people's names without trying to remember their dogs' names. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember dogs and uh, forget people, so at least you got to remember the people. <laughs> yeah, Mate, well, no, it's, it's, sorry. No, he's a, I was just going to say, Pip's a great fella and a, and a great entertainer as well. Uh, he is, mate. He is. Mate, it's come to that time of the night. Uh, mate, there are, there are a few questions there tonight. Well, is there anything that stood out for you um, and they will win the bag of Enduro Plus working dog food? Oh, I think the best one is Chris Egan. Chris Egan? Yeah, when he asked asked all those questions, but but they're all pretty much um, every question he asked for the it, he basically covered it. The answer was covered by the question, basically. Yeah, <laughs> he put must put a, he put a lot of thought into that, knowing Chris. So uh, he did. Chris, if yeah. you Want to get in touch with us, mate? Um, we'll uh, there'll be a bag of Enduro Plus working dog coming your way. Last question of the night Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, th I think I'd compare that to a mob of sheep. I'd rather, I'd rather fight the 20 horses the size of ducks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Answered very well. That Thank you very much for your time tonight, Kev. Uh, we appreciate it and going out of your way. Um, I'm sure you probably haven't done anything like this before. And like you said, you're not technology uh, 
isn't your forte. So um, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for asking me. I, uh, yeah, it was an honour to do it for you. Matt, you're more than welcome. And thank you to all of our viewers for tonight. Uh, we appreciate you all getting on and listening to it back on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Um, yeah, thanks again, and we're looking forward to a great 2022. And please remember, we learn every day from each other, and the day we stop learning from each other will be a sad one for all of us. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kev. Thank you. Good night. Good night.